Welcome to Interchange. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. Interchange was founded inside of Bond, the embedded finance company, as a place for conversation, questioning, and open learning about the future of embedded finance. Our guest today is Trent Bigelow, CEO at Abound. Abound makes it easy for businesses and the independent economy to offer benefits and build autonomous finance features that help protect independent workers. Trent and his team were previously working independently and they've built Abound to solve problems that they face themselves as freelancers in previous lives. In this episode, we cover Trent's journey as a founder to product market fit and distribution market fit, the future of freelance, and how the pandemic has impacted the independent economy. I hope you enjoy our interchange. You come from a background that led you to track, that led you to abound, as I should be calling it that is kind of scratching your own itch, right? Like you felt this, mm-hmm. this pain that we're going to talk about yourself. So give me a little bit of like the Trent background and how you, how you felt enough pain to, to do something as crazy as start a company around it. I had been a freelance user experience researcher for a long time. Um, I had made my own go at a previous startup before that. Um, it, you know, let's just chalk it up as lessons learned, um, AKA failed miserably. Um, and I swore off being a founder for a long time. And that's what led me to becoming a user experience researcher. It, it dawned on me when I met my two co-founders, Alex Cram and, and Chris Lebaski, when we were working together, actually met on a client project, um, that we were spending more and more time uh, doing bookkeeping, basically playing you know HR manager for ourselves, making sure that we knew how much of the money our client paid us each week was actually take home, actually safe to spend. And we didn't understand why did all the accounting apps that we were paying for, or even financial professionals for those of us who could afford it, why were we still spending what we owed? Um, we didn't understand what quarterly estimated taxes were. Uh, we didn't understand, you know, how to find and manage and pay for our own benefits. And when we started going to uh, freelancer meetups, we realized it wasn't just the three of us. I mean, there were 68 million um, independent workers, according to McKenzie. Um, that number is expected to go up, you know, roughly 50% of the entire U.S. workforce will have $1,000 or more in non-employment, you know, 1099 income. And the dirty little secret, and it's not little, uh, the dirty secret is that uh, for us independent workers, we are our own employer and we have to do all of our own tax work. We have to figure out our own benefits. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it. There's so many cool companies, so many cool fintech startups that are you know, in the financial and benefit space that are doing incredible things to make life, you know, for 2015, you know, Trent, a lot easier. Um, and I, I can't wait for us to get into it. My question to you, kind of coming out of that and talking about those 68 million people and how that's going to increase is who needs it the most? It's a problem that we all have, I guess. But at the end of the day, are, do we need it? Does the Uber driver need it? Like, who is the person that you hope to help kind of in the end state of a bound? The short answer is, and this is not a cop out. I truly believe this. Anyone who's earning self-employment income, um, who doesn't have enough money set aside uh, to just, you know, easily write that check, that quarterly estimated tax check so that they don't get fined, so they don't get penalized, needs to have. Uh, either either their bank or their bookkeeping app or even where they get paid by their client using payroll or or a gig platform 
there needs to be that that uh, same level of of financial security and and tax withholding and benefits contributions at that point of payment. So because we, as humans we just can't be trusted really to do the right thing when the money is you know sitting together in our bank account. We're going to spend it how we want to spend it. Or you're talking about who needs it. I mean there are there are millions and millions of Americans um, that are on the lower income side that don't really even have the ability, even if they wanted to do the right thing uh, from a tax or benefit standpoint. A lot of people can't afford. Uh, the, the cost of taxes in healthcare because they can barely afford to make ends meet around you know basic survival needs, and so uh, I'd say in general there are a lot of things that we need to address at an independent economy level around earnings. But as long as we have rules on the books um, that require you or really compel you to have some of these you know sort of these financial protections, I think it's on us and the apps that serve these people to do better for them. Like, let's make it easier. If we pay you a $1099 and realistically only, let's say, 70 cents of it are take home, we, I think it really is an imperative for us as, as those apps to, to, to help them um, be on the right footing for that 30% that really should be going to these different you know, financial goals or, or taxes. Knowing myself, I'm going to just keep going as if everyone just knows what a bound is and what mm -hmm. the product itself truly does. So maybe we should pause and kind of rewind almost. A bound lets the apps that are paying or serving independent workers um, kind of create that, you know, and I don't want to use the phrase uh, employee like, um, but uh, it creates the a similar withholding experience that employees really take for granted. Uh, where you know how much of that money that you earned as an independent worker is take home, safe to spend. The way you do that is you can use APIs that, you know, just, just by a simple call, be able to know, okay, how much of this invoice is, um, should I set aside for taxes? Um, if I'm using a banking stack like Bond, um, how do I be able to have the right amount of money set aside into my tax savings account so I don't spend what I owe? How do I, um, you know, have another component that, uh, maybe uses machine learning predictions where I don't have to build and train my own models. I can just be able to run all my transactions through this and then get a confidence score on which, which uh, category they are and whether or not they're taxable and how much the expenses are tax deductible. Um, and then finally, I think the thing that we're really proud of um, is, you know, we, we really are the, the only one that has made it extremely easy for developers to uh, be able to have a quarterly estimated tax payments, both the IRS and the state. Um, you know, you, you just be able to happen for you in the background. Uh, is that true in every state now? Because I know a year or two ago, it wasn't wasn't every state. Yeah. So uh, it is there for the 42 states that have quarterly estimated taxes. And I kind of lump a bound and bond together. But it's a set of APIs for you guys. It's an mm -hmm. API where cool. You have an API. Wonderful. What does that actually mean, though? Right. And like, what is the future hold if you integrate with this set of APIs or API. And in a lot of cases, especially for those kind of bigger brands, like you alluded to HoneyBook earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. clear, very clear use case, very clearly providing an incredible amount of value to their customers. Same is true of Squire. But like how, what, that all of a sudden this is a financial product? Like, and you have to go build a whole team in order to build this financial product, like from scratch? Like, I have to talk to a bank like, you know, mm -hmm. get out of here. I don't want to do that. And if I do that, I need to know that it's going to be the most profitable piece of my business because I'm taking on this compliance load. I'm taking on you mm -hmm. know, all of these additional things. So 
I think it's really interesting how you are kind of taking this consultative approach almost by accident because you're good humans. But in all of these conversations that I have with brands, you know, it, a lot of it comes down to helping them understand how it fits and truly embedding a financial product, right? This whole like banking as a service thing <laughs> almost feels like it's falling to the wayside because there's no service associated with that term. It's like the, the embedded mm. nature of it seems to be the value add, but it actually comes from the conversations, right? It comes from you helping someone understand why they should in have a bound as part of the suite, not from, oh, which, you know, I'm going to put out an RFP for which tax withholding API I should do. Cause like, it's so cutting edge. Nobody's even thinking about it at this mm -hmm. point. So did that just, did that just kind of happen naturally by through a lot of conversations? And is that something you're trying to like build into the culture for the future that have this kind of consultative approach and help people understand what could be? Yeah. I mean, success to us looks like we understand what the developer with the app, the client wants to do to better uh, improve the financial situation for their independent workers or their, their independent clients. Um, you start with their goal. And then from there, you really, I think and there have been some cases where we've been honest to them and said, look, you know, we think that it might be a difficult, it might be a difficult ask of your, of your end users to, to trust you to be their bank and to be their tax withholding um, app. In most cases, that's not the case. I feel like when we're talking about like, is everything, you know, it, it can everybody be a bank? I think everybody is fintech. If you you know, there's a fintech angle to anywhere where money is made or moved um, or stored for that matter. And I think that, I mean, if you look at the current state of like how people kind of view their bank, um, you know, depending on what bank they've got, I think this is like a renaissance as a banking customer because you actually are living in an era where uh, the bank isn't just going to store your money. The bank is being compelled through competition to do more for you, to you know, uh, manage or advise your different aspects of finances, um, not just charge you fees for holding on to your money and giving you very little interest. Yeah, the the paradigm has shifted dramatically, right? I mean, it's it's give me all of the value, and if you charge me anything, we're done, right? I mean, even Ally, Ally I think of as this kind of digital first bank, but. I think it was a couple of days ago that they announced that they're no longer going to charge overdraft fees. And I didn't even know they charged overdraft fees. I just assumed that that was a, a thing yeah. of the past. And it was this big press release, big announcement. I'm like, Oh, congrats. You made it to 2019, right? It's like, Oh, uh, it's 2021 guys. This is, this is a little bit late, but it is cool to see how the whole industry, the, the yeah. whole FinTech eating the world thing seems to, seems to be playing out. Yeah. I mean, I think you raise a great point about, you know, the, the, the evolution of banking. And I want to see if you, if you have some different thoughts on this, but, uh, from our view, it, it seems like, you know, okay, you got traditional banking for our, however many hundreds and hundreds of years. Then, um, if we're going to give credit to, you know, the chimes of the world that you're talking about overdraft fees, like, I think that was like the very, to me, the very first generation of the challenger neobank came in and said, Hey, big bank, we can offer our services. Actually, no, before Chimes and Neobanks, maybe you had ING Direct um, and Simple and things like that that just cut out the physical overhead. So that's, you know, that's that's so obvious. I forgot about that first gen. Second gen being around, okay, fine, the Chimes, the Daves of the world, the ones that are going to help you um, avoid overdraft fees um, by figuring out how to risk things accordingly. The next generation, I think the one that we're at kind of today, we're seeing so many amazing startup banks that are uh, 
that are, again, looking at risk and saying, hey, you know, what if we could get you, person who really needs access to their money, let's get you access to money that we have high confidence is coming into your bank. We're going to get it to you two days earlier. Um, that's, I think, kind of where we, we are today. And what we're going into next, and I think this is where Abound uh, is doing a lot of incredible work with our clients, is, okay, cool. If you've made it cheaper and easier and more fair for my banking experience, what can you do beyond that? How can you give me a self-driving or, or, or almost like a concierge experience where I'm not paying for an advisor, I'm not paying for a money manager, but I now expect that my bank is just going to understand what rules I set for it and it's just going to go carry them out. David Eric from Alliance for Innovative Regulation one time said to me on a podcast, I think it was, I've done like two or three with them now, so I can't remember which one it was, but on a previous conversation, he explained to me that the overdraft fee is basically a, a rebranded payday loan in so many ways, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, mm-hmm. I've never, never thought about it that way. And then he explained it to me and it was obvious. You're, you're running out of money. Go ahead, take that extra money out, but we're going to charge you a $30 fee. Maybe you only overdrafted $10, right? And this, this whole world of it's this, but let's call it that. Mm-hmm. It seems like the whole world, because of things like cash app, because of things like chime, like you're saying the getting paid two days early. I mean, you know, you know, my two cents on Robinhood, and I even think they've done some great things for the world mm-hmm. in terms of getting rid of trading fees and things like mm-hmm. that. So it seems like the consumer's meter on banking is getting better. But mm-hmm. I wonder if the financial health of the average person is like improving along with it. What do you think? That's a really good question. I think the growing divide isn't just socioeconomic. I think there's a new divide that is growing, and I think it directly correlates with banking and, and, and financial health which is the digital divide. So you've got people mm. who you know, have limited access, and it's amazing to think about this. There's still people that have limited access to, maybe not limited access to the internet, but limited access to a capable device um, of a particular level that these apps require. So that's something interesting that we've been learning. Um, the other thing is that, um, and you, you, know, you probably remember that you know, when back when we were track, we did extensive work and research and even ran ARP Foundation's uh, self-saver app for them, kind of a white label track. And we've, we experienced firsthand that there are, there's a sizable population. There's millions and millions of Americans um, who don't feel comfortable, even if they have a capable device. Many uh, older Americans don't feel comfortable participating in digital banking. And so that, to me, is like one of the digital divides that kind of concerns me is that, um, you know, I think people that, you know, basically, you know, look like you and me in particular because of our age, um, you know, and where we are in our professions, we have so many opportunities uh, to get access to, quote, free services, um, yep. you know, golden age for us. So I think that there are some incredible uh, products coming out there. Um, you know, maybe they're still focused on people our age, but they're focused on people that look very different than us. I mean, if we can do a shout out uh, to, um, I mean, just a couple of neobanks that I'm, I truly admire, like Bank Boulevard, uh, Greenwood, Daylight, Purple, just to name a couple, um, are doing incredible. Wait, things. I don't think I've heard of, I don't think I've heard of Purple. What's Purple? Oh, Purple. Purple is an incredible neobank that is, uh, that is, uh, essentially focused on people with different types of disabilities. Um, banking, I mean, you're probably familiar with the story of Daylight, how Daylight, in particular, just one example, uh, banking is not compatible um, with with you know with people with trans identities um, and experiences. Yeah. Um, same thing with disabilities. Like imagine having again, pick your range of 
of, of, of condition um, where banking is easy for us. It may not be as easy or as fair and accessible to other people. So that's an entire, you know, seg- wow. segment of, of vertical neobanks are focusing on, you know, accessibility. Daylight, I have had the pleasure of getting to know them a bit, mm-hmm. and I love that team. Uh, obviously, we both have a, a good friend in common mm-hmm. when it comes to Donald mm-hmm. and, and Asya at Bank Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Fascinated by the Greenwood situation, especially with like Killer Mike <laughs> and so much of like uh, just that whole cultural revolution is fascinating to me. But I hadn't heard of Purple, so I, yeah. I learned something new every day. I like it. I'm going to have to dig in there. Check them out. And we kind of hinted at COVID earlier, but I want to like even dig into it a little bit more. People were getting laid off. More and more folks were having to turn to some of these gig economy oriented apps. Mm-hmm. So there was almost this inverse relationship, I would think, for you all, where business after the reinvention of the company kind of shot through the roof. Do you think it was like 10 years packed into <laughs> a single year when it comes to the freelance economy? The, the whole move to remote, I think we all kind of know, has been accelerated. I think that remote was going to happen in general. Um, I think that remote was going to become more and more common. Distributed teams are going to be more and more common. And again, I'm talking about for the employers of employees. So that kind of happened, like cats out of the bag. But for the other half of the people, the people that, um, you know, where I, I definitely kind of tend to try to not be too annoyed about the, quote, inconveniences we've had in the pandemic. Talk about the people who've had huge economic losses. Um, you know, people, uh, many of them employees who maybe they're working, you know, on the front lines in services industry or in hospitality. Um, they obviously uh, were deeply affected by this. Um, I think we kind of all know the writing on the wall that government assistance won't necessarily um, be there, you know, long term for these people. Um, so the question is going to be, will all of them be able to resettle into their old jobs? Will some of these people either, you know, to survive or maybe to thrive, do they want to start to explore a passion project or just think about work differently. And so, yeah, a long-winded way of saying, I think the pandemic has compressed some pretty big macro labor trends that were going to happen anyway and just sped it up into a year. And unfortunately, we've all been in this experiment together. Yeah, the the unfortunate parts, unfortunately, stick out more than the fortunate mm-hmm. parts, I think, to, to a lot of us. I think you and I, yeah, have, mm-hmm. been, have been very lucky. I mean, even Abound, you guys have been remote first since I've known you. I mean, is that, is there a competitive advantage you think, or just a cultural advantage in the fact that you've been remote as long as you have been? Well, I I think on one hand, yeah, we, we definitely, (laughs) when the pandemic hit, it didn't feel like a huge change to us from a working standpoint. We were remote. We had, you know, we were about half our team was based in San Francisco. Um, You know, when the pandemic hit, um, we made the decision to close the office down uh, we still consider ourselves a San Francisco company. We have several people still in the Bay Area. Other people have moved. Um, but I think to be competitive, at least at the early stages of a startup, I think I think it makes sense to allow remote first. I think that maybe some people are over-romanticizing this move to remote, that it's going to be the solution to all our problems. Um, for Like you said, for a bound, like it, we didn't do remote because it was cool or because you know it was better. We had to do it because our founders were in different cities. Um, our team... You know, we really should be looking for a team no matter where they are. They don't have to be in the Valley. I mean, I know you're a proponent of the incredible people of Kansas City. So like that experience going through Fountain City really helped us think about, well, what if we could have uh, talent, you know, distributed talent as an advantage? Um, I don't think Abound is the only company that's thinking about that. I feel like, um, you know, 
the market's going to, you know, really set the price for the best talent, no matter where they are, even outside the Bay. I have, as you know, so much love for you, so much love for the team, and I'm just incredibly excited for the future. So the last question is, what can our listener base do to help you? I think we already talked kind of about you hiring and whatnot, mm-hmm. but any other announcements you want to make? Anything else that you kind of want to say about the future of Abound? This is your, you know, not last chance, but it's a chance until <laughs> I have you on next time. Awesome. Uh, so I, I think that uh, I'll make this easy. So any anyone who's working on an app that is paying or serving an independent worker in any way, um, we don't have to work together, but I'd love to get to know what people are doing. Uh, you know, again, even if you're if you're raising money and you're not at the point where even it makes sense to use our technology, um, if you're working on a really important idea that should exist in the market and should help people, I, I highly encourage you to reach out to me. Would love to be able to track what people are working on and get you connected to other people, teams, investors that can help you. You know, build on that dream. If anyone wants to learn more about you know working with us and partnering us on technologies so we can help people move faster and help their independent workers. Great. Um, if people want to think about joining the team, we're you know we're making I think we have eight openings as of right now. There are going to be more. Um, you know, I love getting to know incredible people who really care about uh, improving financial security for that other half of America's workers. And then um, honestly, like I, I hope this doesn't like lead to like a huge um, tidal wave of inbound, but um, I'd love to give back um, to early stage founders in general, even if you're not working in the independent economy. I'm probably not able to spend a lot of time with every single person, but um, I love answering when I can kind of quick questions here and there um, in terms of just getting gut checks and sounding boards on, you know, I'm thinking about this versus that. Here's the context. Um, I still, it's something I miss. Like the more, I think that the later, later stage that we go in a bound, the less time that I spend you know, um, kind of being an advisor or a mentor to other startups. This has been fun, man. I appreciate it. I will put all of that in the show notes. Uh, Always a pleasure. And I cannot wait to do this. Awesome. Can't wait. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Interchange with Trent Bigelow, CEO at Abound. Interchange was founded inside a bond to benefit the developers, product owners, and executives at brands working inside the next generation of financial services. We hope that you're learning, enjoying, and maybe even laughing along. We love this world, and we're passionate about every piece of it. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about, who you'd like to hear from, and what's getting you out of bed in the morning in this wild world of fintech. If you'd like to learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at Zach at Bond.tech. Let's start a conversation. Check out the show notes and the Bond blog for a deeper dive if you're still listening and just can't get enough. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating on your favorite podcast app. Until our next interchange.